And I talk about this with people who are givers and takers. Why is it the takers keep finding the givers? <laughs> it's not a mystery to me because I feel like we put things out. I'll give, I'll help, I'll do. And the taker is like, oh, hey, I need some help over here. Exactly. You know. And then I have people talking about that. Again, not necessarily an abusive relationship, but just unhealthy where it could be like, I feel I'm giving all the time. Well, it's kind of a situation where takers will always find the givers. Givers have to figure out where their limits are, where their boundaries are. We are back and thank you for joining us, Coping on the Couch with Courtney and Brian. Courtney Kelly, a mental health therapist. I, Brian Mulhern, a longtime mental health patient. And Courtney, kind of a heavy topic this week, but I think one that maybe we're a little bit overdue on addressing because the nation has been captivated by the Gabby Petito, Brian Laundrie story Mm -hmm. for a couple of months now. And I think the whole domestic violence thing, the abusive relationships, it's got to be top of mind, front of mind. And it's not only something that impacts the people who are in the relationship. What about, too, the people who surround them who don't know how to help, don't know what to say, don't know what to do before? Unfortunately, sometimes it's too late. Yeah, it is a very scary situation. And I work with a lot of people who are in relationships that aren't so healthy and there's different degrees of things. But yeah, definitely dealing with the cycle of abuse and also talking to people about how to stay healthy in relationships. But it is really scary scary when things go to an extreme and people are scared. A lot of times they talk about why doesn't someone just leave? There's a lot of different forces going on there. A lot of people feel intimidated. They're fearful. Also, there's a cycle of abuse that goes on that people start to think like, oh, the relationship may be getting a little bit better. And this is the thing that we educate people on in therapy. When we talk to people about their relationships and when we start to see that there's some dangerous signs there, we start to talk to them about, okay, well, how is the rhythm of the relationship? And sometimes they realize that this is an ongoing repetitive cycle and it can really help them to start to see that maybe they should try to break out of it rather than thinking it's going to get better. Because if the person who is abusive is not going to get help and doesn't acknowledge what's going on, then it's not going to get better. I have to imagine that this puts a therapist in a difficult position because based on my own therapy experiences, a good therapist won't flat out tell you what to do. However, if you find a client slash patient Mm -hmm. is in danger, you probably just want to jump out of your chair Mm -hmm. and scream at them, run, run for your life. Mm -hmm. But is it really your place to do that? That's the thing. It's very difficult. We've had situations where we had to help people directly get them out of their house and get them to a safe place. I've had many situations where I did a lot of education and gave a lot of support and tried to help them see that they deserve to have a safe, healthy life. And a lot of times they would go back to the house and they would go back to their situation. And it is very difficult as the therapist, but imagine for the rest of the family and people that stand by and they feel powerless. And the thing is too, when there's abuse going on, the abuser is usually trying to isolate the person from their family, from their friends, from their supports. So the person feels so alone And the abuser oftentimes sets up the situation that you need me. Without me, you're going to be nothing. And they intimidate. There's all sorts of manipulation and tactics going on. So the person in the relationship oftentimes just tries to gloss over things or doesn't fully take in the impact because they can't. They're afraid. They're scared. So a lot of my job is trying to give the support and also to do education. So we pull out the cycle of abuse. We show them how the tensions build. Then there's an incident of abuse, whether it be physical, verbal, 
verbal, emotional, mental abuse. Then there's usually a time of reconciliation where the abuser will be very sorry about things. There may be gifts going on. There's different things like that. And then there's a calm in the relationship. And that's usually where both sides try to justify what happened and that it won't happen again. And then before you know it, there may be external pressures from other things. And then it starts to build the tension again. And so if you find yourself that you're tiptoeing around in a relationship, you feel really afraid of what the person might do. You're walking on eggshells when they start to get stressed about things. You can't go to them and have honest conversations about how you're feeling. These may be some signs that there may be something going on there. And then, of course, if there's any kind of lashing out of emotional, verbal and physical abuse going on, that's definitely something that you need to think about and address. And the reconciliation part, the interesting part about that is that the bonding that happens, the person who has been abused starts to forgive and they start to have this feeling like, okay, it's us against the world. Like we can do this. We can make some changes here. And then, like I said, it's reinforced with the calm. But again, you just rinse and repeat. It just keeps going on the same cycle over and over again. So it's something that I start with to educate people. I also educate people with the power and control wheel because that goes over intimidation, threats, coercion, people blaming, minimizing, denying what's happening. When you see that in your relationship and there's a breakdown of communication and there's abuse going on, then I hope that my people will realize, okay, I need some help with this. Two things that I want to mention, one where it can become very cyclical is Mm -hmm. the person who is being abused who believes deep down inside, I can change this person, Mm -hmm. I can fix this person. And that's not just something that relates to physical abuse. You mentioned the many layers here where it can also be emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that sometimes that one can be even trickier because if somebody is being emotionally abused and not physically abused, Mm -hmm. I think they can create that narrative within themselves. Well, it's not that bad. It's not like he or she is hitting me. Mm -hmm. They're just moody. They're just cranky. They might be having a bad day and they're taking it out on me in that way. But being emotionally abused can be just as damaging. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, if not more than even physical abuse. And like you said, a lot of times people just look at it like, oh, well, is there physical abuse? Okay, it's not that. Well, there's so many other things that can be going on that's very unhealthy. And that's part of the education is talking to people. A lot of times the people who may be doing the abusing, and maybe there's some people don't realize that there's some abuse going on in the relationship, just get some education around it. Even talking to a therapist and having that non-judgmental space. I've worked with people who have abused people and helped them to recognize what's going on with them, work on their anger issues, their control issues. And it's not just one-sided. We also need to help the people who are having these issues because a lot of times they've seen it in their household. This was something that was in their environment. They learned how to deal with their anger in certain ways and how lashing out at people to get what they want. And a lot of times this is not where they want to be either. So they need the help as well. But it can be very complicated. And like you said, it's not just about the physical abuse. It's about any kind of damaging abuse towards someone else in a relationship. And it can get very difficult. I do work with a lot of people. And I know in the past, I've had the issue of wanting to fix someone. That's a very common thing of, oh, I'll be the one. I'll be there for them. And they'll ultimately come back to me and said, oh, my gosh, you did all this for me. You hung in there and I 
I was able to change and I owe it all to you. There's something in us sometimes that wants that validation that like, oh, I made such a big difference in their life. The thing is, we're still worthy. We don't need to change people. And a lot of times it's not going to help anyway. They need to figure out what they need to do to change. Now, I'm sure the lion's share of your work is with people who are victims of this. But you mentioned working with abusers, but also earlier you mentioned their reluctance not only to get involved in therapy. I mean, they want to shut the victim down from any Mm -hmm. form of communication that is going to cause trouble for them. I'm wondering what percentage of abusers that you have worked with come in voluntarily Mm -hmm. versus eventually there's no way around it. They need to come in because the victim is just saying so much and how much resistance you get to when a victim tries to convince an abuser to come in to talk to you. Well, just in my situation, I would say most of the time it's someone who was either core ordered, there was some kind of situation that externally pushed them to come Mm -hmm. in for therapy. But I have to say, I've been surprised by some folks who would actually open up and say, wow, I didn't realize that some of the things I was saying and how I was acting was abusive. I grew up, this is what I saw. This is how I saw that people would interact. This Mm -hmm. is how I saw that you would get what you want in situations. Like They didn't realize to the extent of what it was because a lot of times when you're so angry and controlling, you're so in your head about what you have to have. You're not fully realizing the effect of what it does to the other person. And once they have that education and once they really stop and listen, and sometimes, unfortunately, it has to do with the external pressure, like a court system or something like that, but they will stop and they will listen and they will really take it in. So I have to say, for some people, you might say, oh, that's surprising that there was a higher percentage of people that I've worked with, some of the people that I've worked with that actually would take it seriously and they would work on things. It wasn't across the board. And like I said, in most cases, it was people who had to come in. But I did have a few people who it was just unhealthy relationship. I wouldn't say it crossed into any kind of severe abuse, but it was very unhealthy relationships. And they were willing to work on things and kind of go back and forth. And I've done some couples counseling around that as well. And it is so much about the education because it's like, oh, I didn't realize that that's what that could do or what that meant when I do that. Because I come from a long line of cowards, I have to wonder when you are working with abusers, people Mm -hmm. who are emotionally abusive and sometimes physically abusive, do you ever find yourself being intimidated by that person? And Mm -hmm. does that person ever try to pull that card on you? I have never. I've felt intimidated in some situations within counseling or some of the mental health work that I've done, but I can't think of anything specific when I was working with someone who was there for that reason. I'm glad to hear that, that, Courtney. Yeah, yeah, I really didn't. That's why I say a lot of my work, it's so rewarding because you really get to get to the heart of things with people, and a lot of times they come in really kind of hardened and they're just like not wanting to cooperate, and the beautiful thing about therapy is if you can help people to be comfortable and let them know, I'm not trying to be a threat here, I'm just trying to help. And what can we do? Sometimes even the people who you think are the most hardened, they can open up to you and they can really tell you some things that it's like, oh, okay, it really shines a light. Again, it doesn't justify what happened, but it can shine a light as to where some of this is coming from and what we can do to help them change it. I was going to give the National Domestic Violence Hotline out to people. And also you can go to thehotline.org where you can get lots of resources. But they also have a section on there too to help the abuser as well if they're open to it Mm -hmm. and wanting the help. But it's so important. And I think to get the word out, and especially, as you said, we see these stories out in the news. Sometimes we think, oh, it's just happening over here, over here, over here. Well, in a lot of relationships, you start to see things, they're unhealthy, and they start to escalate, and they go into this place of very serious abuse. But if we can catch it before it gets to that place, maybe we can help people to really realize, like, oh, maybe some of the name calling, maybe some of the put 
downs, maybe some of these things that's happening, it's unhealthy. And how can we have better communication so that everyone feels respected? And so I think it's important to be talking about this. One component that bothers me about the Gabby Petito story is when I hear people having discussions about it and they say, well, she was just too young to know better. While that may be a component that's not an excuse for any of it, mm-hmm. I feel like it minimizes the situation. And I think that that's something that people need to watch when they talk about mm-hmm. something like this. If somebody like a Gabby came in to speak with you, Courtney, I imagine that somebody like her a lot of times would blame herself and make mm-hmm. similar excuses. Oh, I did something to set Brian off. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was my fault. That kind of thing. Making apologies to just keep that cycle going. And to some degree, as a therapist, boy, that's got to be maddening at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And trying to validate where they're coming from and what they're feeling and perspective. But it's really important to offer another perspective and say, okay, well, it's understandable when people get upset. However, do you think that the reaction is equal to what happened here? If he's upset about something or someone in the relationship's upset, that's one thing. But communicating in a healthy way is really the best option. So sometimes talking to people about that and gauging it, because like you said, sometimes they'll say, oh, well, I did this, or maybe I just got a mad, or I know how to press buttons or something like that. Again, it's more of the education and that support around it, but it can be challenging. I've worked with people who I felt like I wanted to rescue them like right away. And you really have to take it one step at a time because, again, I'm not there to tell them what to do, but you start to get really strong feelings about wanting to get them out of an unhealthy relationship. But if they're not fully seeing it that way or they're feeling they have no options, that's where I also come in to show them resources. Okay, there's different places I've done many times, shelters that you can go to, resources that you can go to, places that you can call and trying to give people the information. But if they're not ready to do that and make that move, then it's about holding that space and giving them support until they're ready. And the shelter situation further complicated Mm -hmm. by COVID for a very long time, which made things even more difficult and played into these sorts of situations, just continuing with really no solution in sight. This may not be fair for me to ask you this question because I know it's a one size fits all situation, Mm -hmm. client to client, but I am wondering what percentage would you say of these situations actually can be resolved through therapy where the relationship is abusive and somehow both parties come together and they make it work versus where you just have to tell the victim, you got to get out of this. Yeah. Well, I'm not good with percentages. (laughs) I've had a few. I was told there would be no math, Brian. I know exactly, Brian. Where's this math coming from? I've had in my own experience, and I really don't know across the board, especially if people get help, I don't know what the success rate is with this. But I have seen in a couple experiences where people were absolutely both willing to get help on this, that they were able to make some strides and communicate better as far as the time that I knew them. Mm-hmm. After that, I don't know, because a lot of times they're there for a certain amount of time. They go to court. They do what they need to do and those kind of things. I am hopeful if both parties were open to the help. But in a lot of cases, you really just have to get away from the person, because aside from the person being a abusive, there's a dynamic there that's already been established. And it's very difficult to break that without kind of going back into your dynamic again, where one person may be making excuses for the other person. The other person takes that opportunity to put the other person down. There's too much at play, I think, 
for that always to turn out well. So in most cases, probably you would at least need to get away, have a clean break and kind of reestablish because so much work has to be done on both ends. The person who has been abused, they need to build themselves up again and they need to get their supports back and heal with their family and all of these other things. So it can be very difficult to do all of that and have the other person willing to shift gears and to learn new ways because sometimes the person who's doing the abusing really feels like they're justified. The reason why I ask that question, I get very frustrated. I know how difficult it is for people to change. Mm -hmm. And I talk about how Eddie Van Halen couldn't teach his son guitar because Eddie would just get frustrated. Why aren't you getting this? Well, you're Eddie Van Halen. (laughs) Same thing with Ted Williams with hitting. I realize the fundamental changes I've had to make through therapy. And I have had the ability to do that. But when I try to give that advice to other people, boy, sometimes a zebra just can't change Mm -hmm. its stripes. And Not only is that something that I think would become difficult to deal with as it pertains to an abuser, I also think sometimes victims fall into this trap, being attracted to the wrong kind of person. Mm -hmm. So even if you run from this one, you run right into the arms of somebody else Mm -hmm. who that's, for whatever reason, what you're attracted to. Maybe you came from a situation where dad was abusing mom, and we always talk about how in your childhood, that's where you really get wired. Mm -hmm. How hard is it for you to work around that with people who just keep making the same horrible choices? Well, I just had this conversation recently with someone. I said, my fear is that this person leaving, I feel like you need to concentrate on all of your goals right now because my fear is that if you don't examine this and look and say, okay, where is it that I'm making some of these choices, that you may choose another person similar. Now, this wasn't a very serious abusive relationship, but this was an unhealthy relationship for her. And so we talked about that. And I really think there has to be a lot of work done around that. Because like you said, with childhood, a lot of times what we do is we try to resolve the issues of our childhood. And sometimes we do it, we pick similar people that we were around and we try to get a different outcome from it to get some healing from it. But what happens is we keep choosing sometimes the same similar type of person and get stuck in this trap. And sometimes we're not even seeing the other people around us. We're not seeing some of the healthy relationships that we could have because we're zoned in. And I talk about this with people who are givers and takers. Why is it the takers keep finding the givers? (laughs) It's not a mystery to me because I feel like we put things out. I'll give, I'll help, I'll do. And the taker is like, oh, hey, I need some help over here. Exactly. You know. And then I have people talking about that. Again, not necessarily an abusive relationship, but just unhealthy where it could be like, I feel I'm giving all the time. Well, it's kind of a situation where takers will always find the givers. Givers have to figure out where their limits are, where their boundaries are. And that's the other thing is you have to find out what is a healthy relationship? What is a respectful relationship? How do you set boundaries and have people respect that? What are the red flags? because there's red flags that we just choose not to see because we want it to fit our story of what we're looking for. A lot of times we're seeing this too with people online. I see this all the time. People want to believe the stories of people online. There's so much catfishing going on. I've had people show me, oh, look at the picture of my boyfriend. I'm like, that's a picture off the internet. I can see that a mile away. That's my co-host, Brian Mulhern. Exactly. I'm like, have you talked to him on the phone? No, we only message and he sends me pictures and, oh, we can never talk on the phone because he's in the military and all these stories. And I'm like, okay, 
And then other people like, oh, they're going to fly in to see me and all of these things. And then there's scams that come from this. But sometimes there's stories that we want to believe because it fits into something that we need. So it's like, let's look at that and see where is that emotional vulnerability that we have? What is it that's blocking our sight? It could it be boredom? Could it be being lonely? Could it be resolving some things from our childhood? Let's look at that, not in a blaming or shaming way, but let's shine some light on that. We all have our blind spots. Some people have them in relationships. Some people have them at work. We all have them. And then there are people around us who will try to help us with that, but sometimes we're not wanting to see it. (laughs) So we run from it and we make excuses for it. So I think that it is important to know yourself and to know, like you said, what you could be putting out there or what you might be attracted to for certain reasons because you're trying to resolve certain issues from the past, but it keeps bringing you into these unhealthy cycles. And speaking of the people who are trying to help or want to help and to go back to the question I asked you about, have you been intimidated in therapy by somebody Mm -hmm. who is an abuser? For people who want to help and who may be too afraid to help Mm -hmm. and don't know what to do and therefore feel helpless because they feel like the victim isn't listening to anything that they say anyway, maybe they are afraid of the abuser themselves, they don't know what to do or where to turn, Mm -hmm. what do you tell that person? I tell them to give support to the person, try to, if there's a possible way to take them out of their environment, go have a cup of coffee, something where they can meet up somewhere. Just say, hey, I just want to check in with you. How are you doing? Give them an opportunity to be able to speak to some of this. And if appropriate, if they're feeling like they may need some resources, say, hey, this might be helpful for you. It just seems like maybe you're a little sad. Maybe you're a little down right now. Is there something going on? Maybe you need to talk about it or need some help. Sometimes head on is not always the best way because it makes people skittish and makes them back up. So for me, a lot of times it could be like, well, it seems like something's troubling you in your life. And you know what? Going to this group or seeing this therapist or engaging in some way or maybe a website or maybe a resource that will help them to start to open up and get some support. And for the person to know that the person who's initiating this help really cares about them and wants to help them. It is a difficult situation because, like I said, it's very isolating, but encouraging the person. There are so many apps out there. There was one app I know that the app actually got a different name to it so that if somebody went through your phone, you wouldn't be able to tell that it was actually for people who are suffering from domestic violence and need resources. So there's different apps that you can search to put on your phone. And again, like I mentioned, the National Domestic Violence Hotline, I'll just give the number here. It's 800-799-7233. But if you go to thehotline.org, that has lots of resources. So if you're nervous for someone and you don't know what to do, they have resources there as to how to talk to someone, what resources to give, and just to be there for the person and say, hey, I'm just concerned. I've noticed that some things have been off with you or where have you been? Like, I haven't seen you in a while or what's going on at home? You know, you have a lot of value. Like, I don't know if you're feeling badly about things. Maybe you need a break right now from the relationship. Just giving them a space to maybe start to talk about it and giving some support. I know we want to take people out of these really tough situations and get them immediate help, but they're not always ready for that. But sometimes with counseling, and that's the other thing I love about my job, day one, somebody might come in and be like, I don't need this. I don't need this help. And then a few sessions in, they start to feel comfortable. They start to say some things and say, yeah, it's actually not very good at home. 
home or this is what's going on and they start to be honest with you, then you can start to give them more help. Again, it comes from education when they start to realize, oh, this isn't healthy. This isn't how everybody else's relationships are. Some people really do believe that this is how it is because of how they grew up, what they see around them. So they accept a lot of this stuff and it's not healthy. So talking to them about healthy relationships and giving them that support, a lot of times it's great to see when people can come around and get that help. In closing, there are two things that I want to say. One, if you see something, say something. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give you something personal experience wise that I shared with you one night, Courtney. Mm -hmm. It was a Saturday night. I was out with my wife. We were picking up a pizza. I went to run in. As I'm running out, I hear screaming from a distance. There's an apartment complex next to the pizza place. Mm -hmm. I hopped in the car. My wife was driving. I said, let's drive around back. This could just be people messing around, but just in case, let's go and check it out. So we pull in back and there is a woman crying and shaking and there is a gentleman menacingly walking around the parking lot. We rolled the window down and she said to us, help me, please help me. And then the guy started walking towards me. I said, what's going on? He goes, what's up? So at that Mm -hmm. point I said to my wife, go. We went as fast as we could away from that and I was terrified for this woman, but I also had my wife in the car and I didn't want anything to happen to her. I immediately called 911. The police were there within a matter of minutes. And even then I had to give my name. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something that I wanted to do. And I also had in the back of my head, did this lunatic grab our license plate? Is this person going to show up at the house? You have to put that poor woman Mm -hmm. first when it comes to something like that. And you can't be afraid to take action. And I think the best way to honor Gabby Batito is to say, if you see a situation like that, Mm -hmm. act. Also, too, know that she was in a relationship where she felt safe enough to not run. If you are afraid, you don't want to end up like her. And it really gives you something to think about. If you are somebody who is trying to help a Gabby in your life, think about how serious and how horribly this can all end. And for the love of God, just do something. Mm -hmm. Either save yourself, try to save somebody else, try to save a stranger like I did too. That whole thing, Courtney, stuck with me for weeks. I had trouble sleeping. Mm -hmm. My gym happens to be in that area. I was afraid to go to the gym Mm -hmm. because I'm like, this guy might recognize the vehicle. This guy might come out. But it's something that you have to do. You really and truly do. Mm -hmm. We don't want more Gabbies. And hopefully we'll get a lot less of the Brian Laundries as well, who allegedly did this. I have Mm -hmm. to say that, of course. But just recognize how serious and how dangerous Mm -hmm. all of this is. Courtney, if people have questions, no matter what side of the equation they are, Mm -hmm. victim, abuser, somebody who loves somebody who's being victimized, Mm -hmm. if they want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Sure. You can absolutely send me an email, wellness at wctk.com. And again, like we always tell you, we have lots of great resources up on our Wellness Wednesday page, catcountry.com. At Cat Country Mornings on socials, personal pages, Courtney with a C, Kelly EY, or Courtney Kelly Bedard. I'm Brian Mulhern, Brian with an I-H-E-R-N. Also, too, if you know somebody who's in a relationship mm-hmm. like this, tell them about this podcast, please. You can get it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Coping on the Couch with Courtney and Brian. Courtney, I think a very important episode here. Mm-hmm. Hopefully something maybe a little bit more lighthearted for episode 73, yeah. because yeah. this was a tough one, yeah, this but tough very, one. very necessary. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for listening. Courtney, thank you for everything that you do. Thank you. Come on.